You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. It is Dave and DB. I am DB, and this is Dave. Dave, how are you doing? I am doing uh, well. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. How? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, you're out at the. You're out at your uh, farm. I am out at my cemetery. The winds are insane. Just to time date this, it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 a super windy September. It, it is. It's. Uh... You know, we're getting a little bit of smoke from the fires of Mount Hood. Yep, but, yep. Uh, you know, uh, may the, the old gods bless all the fire crews out there because I know they're working hard. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, visibility is, oh, it's it's not the greatest, but it's it, it, it could be worse. It could be worse. I remember, uh, what was it, two years back where it was uh, Portland, I imagine, up here, uh, it was pretty bad, too, but there was the... <laughs> wildfire uh, going on throughout Washington and Oregon and California. And I remember it was like, just like you could barely see the sun. The sun was like a little pink disc in the sky. So, so, so it literally from the farm uh-huh. looked like we we're on Mars. Oh gee. Okay. You know, so when the sun set, it was just red sky. Yeah. But you know, when you go down to Eldridge town, there's all those green fumes coming up from where they, they sprayed all those chemicals in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, they have these green fumes coming in yeah, and then you have this, this red light coming through the dust. Uh-huh. And, and so it makes this almost purple color. <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to say it looked died, but so there were these like purple geysers of smoke coming up from Eldridge town. <sighs> okay. But, uh, yeah, that's just, uh, that's life in, in, the the, uh, the uh, Oregon Triangle. Yeah, yeah, that's life in the Oregon Triangle. Uh, other thing that I've noticed is we've gotten a lot more, and I don't know if this is just an oleander thing or if this is going on everywhere right now. We've got, uh, I'm not quite sure what the invasive species is, but some kind of like a blackberry kind of brambly thing growing everywhere. Power lines, stop signs. Um, something that rhymes with eyes. You know, I, I kind of notice that when I go into town. But, yeah. you know, we, blackberries, and, and yeah, it didn't quite look like blackberries, but, you know, they are. So one of the things that we do here at, at Uncle Owen's uh, goat farm mm-hmm. is that I take the, the, see, basically a male goat, a weather neutered male goat mm-hmm. really isn't worth much money. Okay. And, you know, but it's the same thing. I bottle fed most of these. As well as, you know, so as well as this is even the males. This is a milk milk goat line that I have. The Nubians are all these are milk goats. Sure. So there's not really a market for the meat. And if there was, I'd feel bad because I bottle fed them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at the same point, we can't leave all these males around, especially, you know, the neutered ones to just, you know, eat hay. So what I do is we'll take them out and we'll clear out. Um, you know, fields. We'll, we'll hire them out, and then they will eat all the 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 leaves off the uh, the, the the you know the berries or whatever bramble is there. Sure. And, and I sw- 
there was once this house that the, the family, they're all hoarders. And so we uh, went out and we took them. You know, they, the, the father passed away and, you know, I guess the grandkids were selling the property. So they wanted to throw out the property, you know, mm-hmm. clear out, do brush clearing. Uh, and I swear, by the time the goats were done, they uncovered a jacuzzi. <laughs> it was not a working jacuzzi, sure. but it was as you know, it just looked like this big old giant. You know, we, I thought maybe it was on like a little hill, or you know, where dirt was dumped, but but no, it was covering over a jacuzzi. So, yeah, those, those berries they will grow. Wow, wow, that's that's crazy, and also that's an interesting. Uh, I, I I've heard about that. I'd seen commercials about that about. Uh, how that's done in Oregon? Uh, is is that common with goats elsewhere? Or so there's a, so in this part, there's actually only about three other companies that do it. Okay, and, and this is a, just a sideline to bring in money. Sure. Uh, compared to the cheese, I mean, it doesn't make as much as, as the cheese, but it more than pays for somebody to watch the goats and to um to you know pays for their upkeep. Okay. So it, it's pretty much a, a washout. Uh, but um, the thing is, so the the goats though, they will eat the leaves. They don't eat the they don't eat the vines. Okay. So you got to go in there after the goats have cleared it out and eaten all the leaves. You got to get somebody to go in and clear it out with a machete. Gotcha. Or, or, right. or a handsaw or something. But but yeah, because the, the goats, it's a myth. Will eat the vines. They'll just eat the leaves. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just like the myth about goats will eat garbage can uh, eat tin cans. I guess. So the so I just now that you brought it up, do you know where that myth comes from? No. So in the twenties and the thirties, and even now somewhat, the tin cans were put together with glue. Okay. And so the goats the goats can't eat the tin can. Their their stomach can't digest metal. Sure. But they love that smell and taste of the glue. Gotcha. So what they would do is tear apart the tin cans and then eat the glue. So that's where the myth that that goats eat tin cans comes from. Okay. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Now our, our listeners now know more about goats and goat eating than they ever wanted to know. <laughs> Some people tune in for that, I'm pretty sure. So, okay. We've 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 talked about some Lovecraftian stuff on this show. We've talked about uh, the works of H.P. Lovecraft here and there and the various uh, ways that you, this show has existed, whether it be People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales... Radio Free Oleander. Something I'm curious, since you know quite a bit about goats, I don't know how much you know about cattle, but would it have been more effective for the Waitley family, or Watley family, or Watley family, if you're from the Massachusetts area? <laughs> I don't know, that's a terrible accent. Uh, if, if, would it have been more cost-effective for them to go with, like... Yeah, I mean, you were saying you'd never get rid of your male goats, but what if there was like someone else who's like, ah, I'll, I'll get rid of these goats. I don't care. Buy it, buy up as many as you want. Do you think it would be more cost-effective to go with like goats as opposed to like cattle? But I don't know. Maybe Wizard Waitley needed something large enough to like carve in, carve in incantations. But I don't. Just a thought. You know, and Lovecraft is a city slicker. Sure. He, you know, he, I don't. I mean, we know that he spent some time out in some rural areas in Florida mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. when he was visiting Barlow, and he, he hiked some trails. But he's a he's a city slicker, sure. And, and I'm not sure how much he knew about goats. 
Um, so here is the the thing that I'm just throwing out, and I don't know that much about 1920s, you know, Massachusetts, but I don't know if there was a goat population there. All right. Uh, a lot of a modern, I mean, there's always been some goat farming, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but modern, as far as I know, modern goat farming starts probably post World War II, but I'm not huh. sure. Uh, for those people that are just on there that just listen to this show just for the goat stuff, I'll find out for you. <laughs> okay, but but that's I, good. I'm, I think modern sort of, so I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. Modern goat farming, I mean, some of it's a business like we have, sure. but a lot of modern goat farming is basically people that want to get into horses that don't have the money. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much of a, uh, especially in cold areas. Sure. Uh, I mean, and I'm not sure that there would have been a lot of goats. Uh, sheep, maybe. Yeah. Sheep, probably. Uh, for the wool there, and um, I, I don't know. I, I I think honestly, from a writer's point of view, Lovecraft picked cows because they're big, and and people got an idea of you know how much. And just to give you know the Dunwich horror appetite size, but um, so uh, yeah, I think that the, that Lovecraft probably picked cows just to give you an idea of people to, a size whether whether it made the most amount of sense or not. Sure. All right. All right. Well, uh, here we go with a segment from earlier this week, uh, Dave talking about the Dunwich Horror. Uh, or Dunwich Horror, which one do you say? So I say I say Dunwich, which, I I mean, we have entire podcasts that just talk about how <laughs> I mispronounce all things Lovecraft. Sure. Uh, but I say done which but i have been told that i am not a true lovecraftian because i mispronounce and misspell dunwich <laughs> that's okay that's okay <laughs> I, it's i i think it's okay to not be considered a true lovecraftian <laughs> in my opinion yeah <laughs> all right here we go with that and uh we'll see you on the other side of that everyone So welcome back. This is Radio Free Oleander, 1130 on your AM dial, and this is Farmer Dave. And uh, so uh, we spent the last 90 minutes talking to Gladys Nussbaum. She is the pneumatic tube operator for the night shift for the city of Oleander. Uh, Many of you know, or locals all know, uh, we don't get very good cell reception here. Uh, so we brought back, the city brought back something that had been built in the 30s when this was kind of an idea of the city of the future where we have pneumatic tubes where uh, you write out uh, and you send the message through the tube throughout the city. I mean, you can even contact 911 that way. And for the last couple decades, Gladys has been working the night shift. And uh, she just spent the last 90 minutes... Uh, telling stories about strange messages that she's gotten in the pneumatic tubes. Uh, Some of them were funny, uh, some of them were heartbreaking, uh, and some of them were just warm, good stories. Uh, Gladys, you're a great storyteller, and uh, we can't wait to have you back on on the show and back on Radio Free Oleander. 
So uh, we'll be finishing up uh, my show in a little bit. And then uh, from the 10 to midnight hour, Justin Godfrey IV. Uh, he is a member of the uh, city council, as well as he uh, owns the Oleander Spa. And his uh, family owns the building. Uh, and he's also a pretty accomplished pianist. So he's going to be playing the piano for you between 10 and midnight. Now, those of you who have listened to this show or listened to Radio Free Oleander, uh, you may have heard the episode where I uh, took the DB out and uh, we're driving around and we got to the Oleander Spa. We got as far as the parking lot because neither one of us could really afford to go into that place. And, and I told the history about how it used to be the Oleander Asylum for the Potentially Criminal Insane. Apparently, uh, Justin Godfrey uh, the, the Fourth, who's uh, a member of the city council, he didn't like that story. So, uh, you know, well, sorry, Justin, but, you know, no, no hard feelings. It's, you know, it's history. It's by God. But, uh, DB should have that one up, if not soon, so, uh, uh, you know, go ahead and listen to it. Or not. But I got a few more minutes uh, before Councilman Godfrey comes out and uh, entertains us with uh, with the piano. So, um, those of you who have been listening to Radio Free Oleander, uh, I get a show in uh, here in Oleander, Oregon. Uh, we're broadcasting of... Uh, um, and it's... I get a show... Uh, Tuesday and Thursday, and it's between 8 and 10, and then I usually have about 20 minutes or so left to talk about something, uh, and then on Tuesdays, uh, today, I don't know what time you're listening to this if you're listening on the internet, but I um, uh, discuss pop culture, and then on Thursday, the last little bit if I've got some time, uh, I tell a story that was told to me by a member of the city of Oleander. And then DB, you know, he takes them, he puts the week's shows together, and he presents it on the internet for people that don't happen to live in uh, northern Clackamas County. So here, at least today, it's Tuesday, so I'm finishing up my show. Uh, again, you could be listening to this on any day on, on the internet. But, um, so, at least live... I've got another 12, 15 more minutes uh, before Councilman uh, Godfrey takes over. So, um, on Tuesday, it's um, Dave's uh, Pop Culture Corner, where I talk about anything in the last possibly 120 years of pop culture, maybe even before. Uh, and we're going to talk about a... 50-year-old movie, a movie coming up on 50 years, 1970, and that is based on the story by H.P. Lovecraft called The Dunwich Whore. Now, if you've seen any panels, you know, I've given, or if you've listened to me on any this or uh, uh, possibly uh, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigan or several other uh, podcasts I've been on, uh, I love Lovecraft, and I talk a lot, quite a bit about him. Um, and so I definitely knew, and I had read the short story before I had read, I knew that, even knew that there was a movie. Um, 
And so how I found out it was a movie was I was watching, it had to be September 1981. And I was watching Elvira's Movie Macabre. And this was Sandra Peterson's show. This was the introduction uh, to America as uh, Elvira. And she really was the first national uh, horror movie host, as far as I know. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that that's true. But, um, you know, she was... It it was camp. It was funny. It was wink-wink sexy. Um... And people, I liked it. And she, of course, showed bad movies. Up there with, you know, the one that she's most affiliated with is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. But I would say at least me, and maybe only me, this was the movie that I secondly associated her with. Um, And so it was either the first or second episode, and she was showing a preview of movies that she was going to to uh, show. And, and it said Dunwich Whore. Now, I had recently, probably within a year for the first time, had read the Dunwich Whore, so I knew what it was. And it's a scene, I can't remember, like, the farmer going into the house, and there were, like, uh, uh, footprints falling, and the house was cracking. So I'm excited, because I'm... <laughs> You know, first of all, I like this Elvira show, and more excitedly, I love the Dunwich Horror, and there was a movie about it, and I didn't know. So, um, according to the internet, it was the fifth Elvira show, but I don't think I saw it first run. I think I saw it months later in a, in a rerun. Yeah, I was disappointed. I was very disappointed. Now, there's a couple of things that... You have to factor in. First of all, even though Elvira was seen as sort of this very sort of pushing the envelope on good taste and, you know, uh, body humor, uh, it was still TV. Um, So the show, the movie was cut to pieces. Uh, And the other thing is, uh, I'm watching this on a nine-inch black-and-white TV. So, uh, one of the, the 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 draws to the movie is sort of the psychedelic coloring. And so, yes. Um, I got it in the possible, worst possible medium I first saw it. And that probably affected me and my view but at the same point it obviously is not at the level that the short story is so as we're, we're running out of time here and before uh, councilman godfrey kicks me out of the the studio um let's go ahead and dress the thing that the movie is most remembered for and that is, it is the first time, and the best of my knowledge, the only time, Sandra D appeared topless in a movie. And that's what it's best known for, or most known for now. Um, Sandra D, of course, has this squeaky, wholesome, pure image. 
so much that it, you know, it's mocked in that song by in Greece. Well, she was extremely nervous about this. So they had to make two sound stages. And one sound stage is where they shot the, the topless scene, but the other sound stage is where everybody else on the lot or associated with the movie had to be because she was so nervous that people would come in to look at her topless. Of course, you know, I'm 14 years old and, and I don't know any of this or see any of this. I find this all out later because you know, I'm watching a TV edited version. The, the big thing though, that as a child or 14 year old watching this that caught me was the difference in Wilder Watley. Um, Wilbur is in the book only about 13, 14, but he's like six foot nine and he's got huge twisted goat legs and, and he's got a full sort of scraggly beard. And, and, and he's this full genius. And, and I guess we're going to have to hit some spoilers. But you know what? It, it's a it's a 90-year-old story and a 50-year-old movie. So, uh, But in the book, Wilbur Watley, he dies sort of surprisingly and shockingly. And I, I mean, I was kind of... I was surprised that this... Uh, antagonist was killed off so quickly. In the story, though, his death sets off a chain of events that cause things to happen in Dunwich. It causes the Dunwich horror because he's controlling it. And when he's gone, then the Dunwich horror is basically, it's released on the city. Well, he doesn't, you know, get his uh, come up as until the end of the movie, which I guess you got to do because it's a movie. Um, but I, I thought that, and that, and the fact that Dean Stockwell, who of course I didn't know at the time, it wasn't about four or five more years later, that I see him in Quantum Leap. And I think most people my generation later associate Dean Stockwell with Quantum Leap, um, but he'd been a child actor. Uh, so this was kind of a break for him as well as Sandra Dee from their, their, you know, their child acting career. And like I said, Wilbur Watley in the book is this sort of deformed, goatish, only half human. And, you know, Young, I don't know if I'm the person best to praise the looks of young Dean Stockwell, 70s Dean Stockwell, but yeah, he um, he's not goat looking. Uh, and even as a, a young guy, it kind of bothered me. I mean, it took away, I think, from the character that they gave him this basically what I thought 70s generic uh, movie star good looks. So in the 70s, it, it seemed kind of as, you know, one of the first major attempts to make a Lovecraft story into a movie and to use, piggyback on Lovecraft's name and use Lovecraft 
in the, you know, the advertising and marketing. So um, I was, I got on YouTube and I, uh, I brought up the, uh, oh, the trailer, the original trailer. And there's that the movie voice guy. And he, he's got this line. So uh, Wilbur's got the, the uh, Necronomicon. And this is not the first, but it's one of the, the first movies where the Necronomicon comes in, plays a major part. And he's reading it, and it's in its ancient language. I suppose it's, it's Arabic. I'm not sure. It didn't look like Latin to me. And, and the movie trailer guy goes, he believes the history of horrendipity written here. I love that sentence. I hope that they change the laws so that I can marry that sentence. That's just an amazing... I've never heard the word Horrendipity, no serendipity and horror put together. Uh, I even Googled it and I couldn't find anybody else that ever used that word. I just, what a great word. Um, so, yeah, I love that sentence. So I, uh, I see that, uh, that Councilman Godfrey is sort of pointing at his watch. We're about out of time. But I do want to say something about um, uh, the Dunwich Horror is if this failed as a Lovecraft adaptation, and I think it pretty much did, no matter whether you see the full version or the, the edited version, what did succeed is, I think, is Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space. And this apparently is going to be the next one in a trilogy that Richard Stanley is going to adapt. And... and Obviously, he, you know, he had to change some things to adapt Color Out Space, but he did an amazing job. Um, and it doesn't have to be 100% faithful to the, the short story or even faithful completely to Lovecraft's vision, but I would love to see a more faithful, uh, I am version that has more captures the spirit of the short story. Uh, and I think we're going to see that in a couple years. Okay, so I am about to be run out of here, and I'm going to turn my microphone over. Uh, this is uh, Farmer Dave, and I have been doing Dave's uh, Pop Culture Corner. Uh, if you are listening to this on the internet, you will be more than likely combined with one of my uh, the People of Oleander segments. So uh, just uh, uh, stay tuned uh, if you're on the internet. And if you are here live listening to us in beautiful Oleander, Oregon, uh, be ready for the, the uh, piano songs of uh, Justin Godfrey. And until then, you have a good night. All drum tracks provided by the gang down at the VFW. Thank you so much. And join them on the 28th and the 29th for the social distancing uh, Oktoberfest extravaganza uh, Harvest Fest. Oh, I can't read this. What is this? That's parade. No, that's not how you spell parade. Join us this Friday for the Mayor's Dance Party in Eldridge Town. 
in Old Town, in South Oleander. M50 general purpose service mask required. Please wear a yellow or green filter. If you do not have one, a white one will be provided. Mayor Dan will be spinning from dusk till dawn. And that was a great thing about the Dunwich Horror. Oh, yeah. Whoever did that, must have, it was just brilliant. <laughs> oh, it was me. That's right. That's right. I had nothing to do with it except for the intro part that you heard on the other side. But, yeah, no, D&D on D&D. Here we are. You know, last week we were talking about scarecrows and something you brought up is scarecrows are traditionally constructs. And I started thinking, now constructs, that's, that's a fun one to do in Dungeons & Dragons. Like... What are what are your some of your favorite ways to use constructs, or what are some of your favorite constructs? First off, so you know I like to get inspired by weird things, right? Sure. Yeah. So, Doctor No, have you ever seen Doctor No? Doctor No, the uh, James Bond. The James movie. Bond. Movie. Yeah, yeah, I believe I've yeah, seen. Yeah. So, so they're on that. They're supposed to be that dragon. Sure. And, and it's shooting fire, like, and it turns out it's like an an armored car. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, so I did that once where the party was to go to, to hunt the dragon, but it turned out it was actually this big sort of giant metal uh, steampunk uh, it, by gnomes. Okay. And, you know, it shot fireballs. They had like a, an artificer that made fireballs. So I made this big giant gnome, uh, giant uh, uh dragon construct uh-huh. that, that the little, the known mercenaries would ride in and, and then they would attack the village and, uh, cause the dragon would scare everybody off. Oh, wow. Cool. And, and they had to go through and find clues. Like, why are these little footprints all over here? And, and why did the, why did the, the dragon steal all their cooking utensils when they, <laughs> the village was evacuated? Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, I, yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, Kind of reminds me of what I was thinking of, of one of my favorite constructs that I created as a DM for, like, second edition D&D. I created, like, it was a fairly high-level campaign, and at this point in time, uh, they're like, we want something to travel around in. We want it to be able to go across land. We want it to uh, sail through the air, and we want it to go across water really quick, and we want it to be steam-powered. And I'm like, okay, all right. And they talk to some dwarves and gnomes, and the gnomes and dwarves are like, okay, what can go in the air? What can do all this? And they're like, oh, okay, all right, great. And the PCs had paid huge amounts of huge amounts. They've been campaigning for so long, and they show up, and there's this giant bullfrog. And uh, it's like, okay, we get it goes across ground, and we get that it swims. But what about the flies? And the gnome hits the belly, goes, his belly's full of them. and then explains the fact that it has like a uh a mechanism that works like a a frog tongue for like getting large things out of the air or you know attacking people and uh they're like wow this thing's really great and then they tried to use it across land and it's a big giant brass frog and they're like oh that doesn't work so well it's like riding inside of a bell and (laughs) that's rolling downhill so I, I often use, so um, I had a, a, one of my campaigns, just 
there were like little gnome, you know, artificers, and they would make that was one of the things they made the toys were like little tiny frogs, mm-hmm. wind up frogs. <clears throat> yeah. And then one of the um, one of the the guys, the gnome, you know, tinkers was actually the city's fence. Okay. And so that you know that they could you know they could buy things that looked like you know like clocks or something, and it would have a magic sword or something in it. But, and, and I like, I mean, there's always going to be sort of, there's always sort of this mythical side to mechan- living statues or mm-hmm. mechanical, but in, in ways it kind of, it lets you bring in sort of a science fiction feeling. If that, And you got to be careful that constructs don't quite change the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. doesn't make it too much, but, uh, but yeah, I like I like constructs because, and I'm not sure about fifth edition, but I know in the old rules you couldn't crit against a constru- yeah. construct. And there's certain you things could also, you couldn't do against constructs because they didn't have mines or, mm-hmm. yeah, they didn't have like blood or, or vital organs or yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they tend to have high armor class, not a lot of hit yeah, points. Yeah. But that's you know you get to the metal and then you can start just you know stabbing the gears or something. Sure. So that that's sort of a, a challenge. Uh, I think maybe the the classic, and a lot of people do it like spiritually or magically uh, activated, but a uh, suit of armor. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, I, I believe I, I don't know, I keep coming up with uh, referencing Raven, uh, uh, Raven, Raven, Ravenloft. I keep wanting to say Ravencraft. Uh, Ravenloft, I, I, I think is like the first time I saw like kind of like a animated Scooby-Doo armor that was, uh, that was, uh, definitely like a construct kind of thing less than a, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I know it was second edition fiend folio kind of thing <laughs> in one of yeah. those folders that has the, uh, three ring binder built in. Yeah, I, th- I think that was that, I think that was second edition that came out with a three ring binder. Oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I remember pouring through those, looking for like, okay, what can everyone handle? What can we do? What can we do? And a lot of the time, I want to say it's like stuff like that. I would go through it, and then I'd go through my Dragon magazine, and then I'd just come up with something on my own and be like, why am I buying? Why, why why am I paying for this magazine? They never have anything good. It's like one thing good, an epi- issue, blah. And I'd be like, wait a minute, what if the maze itself was a construct? Ooh. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's one of my favorite ones. It's like, well, if the maze itself, if, if like, uh, like a wizard tried to, or a necromancer tried to create itself uh, a lich in its ossuary, but then it doesn't end up putting, becoming a lich. It ends up like putting its own mind or part of its mind in creating a construct into its, like, ossuary-like maze, and then its mind can kind of, like, control what's going on. It's not like a necromancer has control over, you know, its body and a whole bunch of undead. It's just, like, kind of like a a failed a failed spell that kind of gave sentience to a bone maze. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and again, I'm inspired by strange things. Sure. That seem to have nothing to do with, you know, medieval knights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... You know, I love the 1970s uh, Michael Crichton Westworld movie. Oh yeah! And I've just I've just gotten through the first two seasons sure. of of the HBO series. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what about this? What about a construct 
that gains a sentience. Okay. So it becomes, it's no longer just a machine and gets its own, you know, stab the person that comes through the door type thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if, what if it had, you know, it's, it's own, you know, morals, it's own set for survival, you know, it's own ideas. And, you know, you think of it being, you know, neutral because it just does whatever it's wind up or programmed for. But what if it's got its own agenda? Yeah. And maybe 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 this this construct wants to help the party, or at least make the party think that it's going to help them. Hmm. Yeah. And that you know, if constructs were a real thing, what would prevent a wizard from making a Westworld like amusement park? Hmm. And, and you know, oh, here you want to practice your swords? Here, you know, I'm, I've made all these constructs that you can go out and kill, and they should be easy. And then all of a sudden, someone says the wrong magic word, and they um, turn just like on Westworld. Yeah, yeah, no, because I was thinking, huh? Oh, well, why wouldn't they just do illusions? And I'm like, well, probably constructs would be easier to construct. <laughs> That's true, and, and maybe. Uh, yeah, and maybe maybe it is. Maybe it's it's half Dream Park, half Westworld. Part of it's an illusion, and part of it's constructs, and you don't really know until you start fighting them. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's huh. That'd be pretty cool. We could call it Wizard World. <laughs> yeah, no, and you could even like take a concept like that into like not necessarily a Dungeons and Dragons game, but let's. Let's say let's let's go back to Shadowrun, where you oh, have yeah. the ability to uh, build build things like build robots, build constructs, build uh, drones, and then also cast magic, and then combine the two, and you can do all kinds of stuff. Make oh, a fan absolutely. make a fantasy world, make a wizard world, and be like, oh hey, chummer, let's go down and vidi some of that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm mixing Clockwork Orange and Shadowrun lingo. But let's go down to Wizard World and have a good time and shoot spells and guns and woo and nope, everything goes crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so did I don't know if you've ever read the Dream Park series. No. It, so they're uh, Larry Niven, um, and it, it's the uh, same thing. It's an amusement park, but it's holograms. Okay. And people basically play to pay to be professional, uh, to play, basically act out D and D. Gotcha. But it's holograms and everything. And, and there's corporate espionage. But Artel Rosian, who did Cyberpunk, got the rights to do a Dream Park game. Huh. And so it was a really sort of simple, basic game. Sure. So I did what I did is I brought it into my Cyberpunk world. And so the players in this particular campaign, they were the bodyguards and support group for a band. Huh. And so the band... It, you know they're they're getting kind of famous, so they're kind of being the celebrity guests in Dream Park. Uh, but there's this corporate espionage that's going on at the same time. Um, so, so yeah, um, you know, a hologram. Um, uh, there's a, and also there's a. Oh, uh, I should have done more research. But there's a five E slash. Call of Cthulhu book out there. Yeah. Where where it's ghosts, it, it's all about ghosts. Huh. And it's got like a, a classic 5e D&D story uh, and things. 
But one of the last ones is a futuristic Call of Cthulhu adventure hmm. where it's the original D&D adventure, but it's a hologram escape, ha- escape house. Oh, cool. So, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we think of constructs as being something physical, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but why can't they be kind of hologram or illusionary? And and this is like a, a this is like a, and I have played that adventure and, but uh, the, where it, it's like the holodeck goes crazy. Okay. And everything gets solid, you know? So why can't a, a construct be like a solid hologram or an illusion? Yeah. Well. Or half and half. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's a D&D on D&D talking about constructs. I mean, we could talk more about, like, buildings that are constructs that'll... That aren't mimics, but you know, we could talk about a whole bunch more. But yeah, yeah, and, and now my mind's all stuck. Well, what if you know a construct version of Yaba uh, Yaba uh, Baba Yaga Baba Yaga's house? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. It'd be kind of like almost like a uh, what do you call that? A uh, juggernaut, but with chicken yeah. legs instead of rollers. Yeah, <laughs> one of my personal favorite. Uh, one of my personal favorite uh, constructs is is the juggernaut. I don't know. I've always always kind of found that fascinating, but tried not to use it too much because otherwise, you know, you give a PC a juggernaut and they're just gonna fast travel everywhere on it. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever had PCs strong enough to send one against them. <laughs> All right. Again, thanks everyone, and this has been D and D on D and D. And until next time, whatever ending we decide, hopefully your dice like you. Um, Make charisma your dump stat. No, I don't know. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time, everyone. Hey, everyone. Uh, Not quite sure what this tape is. I'm just going to shove it in. We're going to see what happens. Maybe it'll be another episode of Music of Oleander. Maybe it'll be a Rockford Files Files. Who knows? All right. Hey, gas station tenants. Get out of the graveyard. I got kids sleeping. Get out. No. Or I'm going to play some real poetry at you. What? No, I'm just going to play real poetry at you right now, you jerks. You you creeps. You Edward Scissorhand-looking mofo. By Elfridge, she has led. She strums her father's oaken lyre and deftly fingers strings to sew her lays across the shire, the ballads that she sings. Folks shun her in the wary town, her and her devil song, which makes the parson fret and frown and rail of right and wrong. And yet they come, a hooded few, still yearning for the days when witches in the country knew to keep ancestral ways. They come to listen by the stones, which kindred blood still stains, and feel the stirring in their bones when old gods rattle chains. You like that? Yeah. Adam wrote that. Uh, He wrote it about a month ago, and it's going to be published in Penumbra number two. I am the most beautiful angel. I actually am.
back a little bit by the story yeah but, uh, i yeah okay all right well 
we can't undo that. You know, we did it. We can't undo it. So can't unhear what you've heard. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever it was that you just heard, can't unhear it. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Radio Free Oleander. I have been DB, and I have been Farmer Dave. Thank you so much. And hey, if you are in the Oleander area, Clackamas County, Portland, anywhere in, uh, heck, if you're anywhere and you're listening to this and you want to contribute, contribute. Contact us, find out how, rate, review, subscribe, go to iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts, go. Tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, I listen to this goofy podcast, these two guys, Dave and DB. They talk about goats and dungeons and dragons and other weird stuff. Yeah, you might give it a try. Anyway, any final thoughts? Yeah, please. Any final thoughts, Dave, besides please? Other than I'm hoping that the wind doesn't blow me away. Yeah, I'm hoping the wind and these vines don't take the town over. So <laughs> we'll see you next time on Radio Free Oleander. Bye. And cue the music. The show is edited and produced in the PGTTCM studios in Portland, Oregon. Dave's part was recorded out at Dave's Farm. Thank you so much for listening. Help the show any way you can. Check out PGTTCM.com. Check out the shops. Check out the show notes and help anyone you can. Stay safe. Stay clean. Don't be a jerk.